When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the opposed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to tell you a story about a visit I had to the dentist's office a few years ago. Before I tell you this story, there's something that you need to understand. And the thing you need to understand is that I used to really enjoy going to see the dentist. Now, I know that sounds a little bit strange, maybe, but here's the thing. When I was growing up, I had the best dentist in the world. I had the most kind and gentle uh, dentist that you could possibly imagine. I'm going to call him today. I'm going to call him Dr. Warm and Fuzzy. Dr. Warm and Fuzzy was my dentist growing up. And, and every six months, I would go to Dr. Warm and Fuzzy's office, and I would sit in his chair, and he would give me a, a whiff of happy gas. And then he would tell jokes and he would sing silly songs as he very gently cleaned my teeth. And then when it was all over, he would give me the opportunity to choose a, a dum-dum sucker out of the jar that sat on the reception desk. I usually would dig through the dum-dums until I found a root beer barrel sucker, but every once in a while I would, I would fish around and find one of the mystery-flavored suckers, one of the, the suckers with a, a question mark on the wrapper, because sometimes you've just got just to gotta live dangerously. I used to love going to see Dr. Warm and Fuzzy. I used to love going to see the dentist. But then I got older, I grew up, I moved away from home, and it was time for me to find a new dentist. And so I asked my insurance company to give me a list of dentists who were close to where I lived. And I saw that the nearest dentist on the list was a dentist who I'm going to call, today I'm going to call Dr. Yankendrill. Now, Dr. Yankendrill was not his real name. I don't want to use his real name today. But, but the thing is, he, he actually had a seriously intimidating and terrifying name, particularly for a dentist. And when I saw his name on the list, I thought to myself, now there's a guy who probably gets some really good laughs, some really good chuckles out of being a dentist and having such a, such a scary and intimidating name. And I decided I wanted to meet this dentist, and so I signed up for an appointment at, at Dr. Yankendrill's office. And I drove to his office, and then I got called back. I went back and sat in the chair, and, and then Dr. Yankendrill came into the room. And I could see immediately that Dr. Yankendrill was not the kind of person who got any kind of laughs out of being a dentist with a scary and intimidating name. I could tell immediately that Dr. Yankendrill was the kind of dentist who, who worked to live up to his scary and intimidating name. Now, Dr. Yankendrill didn't say, hello, how are you? He didn't introduce himself. Instead, he just reclined my chair and dove into my mouth and he said, okay, let's get started. And he hadn't been in my mouth for three seconds when Dr. Yankendrill took his hands out of my mouth and he leaned back and he looked at me and he, he raised an eyebrow and he said, so you're not a flosser, are you? And I said, well, how can you tell? And he said, here, let me show you. And then he handed me his, his mirror, that little mirror on a stick that they use to see into the deep, dark recesses of your mouth. 
And he said, I want you to hold this so I can see what I, wait, so you can see what I'm doing. And, and so I held the mirror so I could see what was going on in my mouth. And then Dr. Yankendrill, he said, all right, now watch what happens when I do this. And then he took his little metal pick that they use to scrape your teeth clean and he jabbed me in the gums. And I'm not going to tell you what happened when he jabbed me in the gums except to say that it was horrifying. And then he jabbed me again in a different place, and he jabbed me again and again and again and again. And every place he jabbed me with that little metal pick, all sorts of terrifying carnage happened. And then after he jabbed me enough times that I got the message, Dr. Yankendrill looked at me and he said, Now, if you start flossing, that won't happen anymore. He said, But if you don't start flossing, here's what you've got to look forward to. And then he took out a book that was filled with pictures. And he started flipping through this book and showing me the most terrifying images that I have ever seen in my life. All of the things that could happen in my mouth if I didn't start flossing. And then when it was clear that I'd had enough of the pictures, Dr. Yankendrill walked over to the door. He leaned his head out the door and he called to his receptionist. He said, Sharon, he said, cancel the rest of my appointments. And then Dr. Yankendrill came back into my, my, the office and he spent the rest of the afternoon giving me the most painfully, horrifyingly thorough cleaning that my teeth have ever had. And hours later, I walked out of Dr. Yankendrill's office with a face full of pain and a mouth full of gauze. And I got in the car and I drove home. And and as I was driving home, I started thinking all sorts of mean and nasty thoughts towards Dr. Yankendrill. I might have even muttered under my breath and called him a few names as I was driving home. But you know what else I did? From that day forward, I became a flosser. I flossed my teeth every day. I have not missed a day of flossing in the last 20 years. And now my teeth are as clean as they ever have been and my gums are good and healthy and I owe it all to Dr. Yankendrill. And I, I tell you this story today because there's a point I want to make and I think it's a, a fairly simple point and easy to understand. The point I want to make today is very simply this. The doctor we want is not always the doctor we need. Now, I loved sitting in Dr. Warm and Fuzzy's chair and getting a whiff of happy gas and having a a good time and getting a sucker on the way out of the office. But at that point in my life, the doctor I needed, the doctor who saved my mouth, the doctor who got me to, to live in a different way and change the direction I was headed in, the doctor I needed in that moment was Dr. Yankendrill. And all of us, every once in a while, need a little bit of a Dr. Yankendrill in our lives. All of us, from time to time, need to sit down in the chair and spend some time with somebody who's not afraid to tell us the truth. All of us from time to time need to sit down in the chair with somebody who's willing to show us things that we don't want to see and let us know that we're headed down a bad road if we don't change our ways and change them soon. Every once in a while, we need to sit down and have a good, a good cleaning, a good scraping, a good conversation with a Dr. Yankendrill. And that's why God gave the Israelites the commandment to observe every 50 years a year of Jubilee. Now, in the Old Testament, as, as the Israelites were making their way out of slavery in the land of Egypt, 
And as God was about to bring them into the promised land, there comes a moment when God has a conversation with the people. There in the wilderness, God speaks to the people, and this is what God says. God says, I want you to be a people like no other people in the world. When you enter into this land that I'm about to give you, my dream is that you are going to live in a way that is unlike the way any other people on the face of this earth live. My dream is that you will build a community, build a society around compassion and human dignity, God said. And in order to help you do that, I am giving you a gift. I'm giving you the gift of my law. And then there in the wilderness, God starts giving the people commandments, commandments that they can use to build the society of compassion and, and human dignity. And, and you know some of the commandments that God gives the people there in the wilderness. God says to the people, thou shalt not murder. And God says to the people, thou shalt not steal. And God says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. And God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God gives the people lists and lists of commandments. God gives the people hundreds and hundreds of commandments. And then, just as the people are about to leave, just as they're about to make their way into the promised land, God gives the people one last commandment. God says, one more thing I'd like you to do. God says, when you go into the land that I'm about to give you, I want you to start counting. I want you to start counting the years. Count one year, two years, three, four, five years. I want you to keep on counting until you have counted 49 years. And when you have spent 49 years in the land, God says, then at the beginning of the 50th year, this is what I want you to do. I want you to blow a trumpet and declare a year of jubilee. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do in that year of jubilee, God says. After you blow the trumpet, I want you to go to everyone who has fallen into debt, all those people who are so deeply in debt that it looks like they're never going to make their way out of debt. And I want you to say to those people, your debts have been forgiven. And then God says, I want you to go to the prison, go to where people are locked away in shackles, and I want you to unshackle those people and open the doors of the prison, and I want you, I want you to set those people free. And then God says, I want you to go to the people who have have fallen into such desperate circumstances that they have sold themselves into slavery. And God says, I want you to release the slaves. And then I want you to go to those people who have have had crises in their lives that were so, so deep and so painful that they were forced to sell the family farm. And I want you to give them back the family farm. God says, I want you to go and find anyone who is, is in any kind of oppression, any kind of suffering, any kind of debt. And I want you to set all of those people free. And then God says, I want you to spend the rest of the year living in this way. I want you to slow down. I want you to rest. Treat that entire year as as one long extended Sabbath. God says, during that year, I want you to go and return to your families. And during that year, I don't want you to go into the office at all. Don't go to work. Don't plant your fields. Don't harvest your fields. Let your fields rest. Let your servants rest. Let your animals rest. Let the birds of the air come and eat the grapes off of your grapevines. That year, God says, I want you to take an opportunity to rest and heal your bodies. Rest and heal your communities. Rest and heal this creation that I have given you. God says, every 50 years, I want you to hit the reset button on your entire society and have a good have a good long rest. This is the command that God gives the people as they're about to, to enter the promised land. It's a lot to ask. It's a big commandment. It is, it is an overwhelmingly, intimidatingly big commandment. Why, why does God give the people this seemingly impossible commandment as they're about to enter into the land? 
It's because God knows that evil and injustice can build up like the plaque on our teeth. It's because God knows that every once in a while we need to sit down in the chair and scrape away all of the evil and injustice, all of the inequity and oppression that builds up year after year after year. It's because God's dream for God's people is not that they would live in a society built around enslavement and indebtedness and incarceration. God's dream is that God's people would live in a society built around compassion and human dignity. And the only way to do that is to, every 50 years, every so often, release the prisoners and hit the reset button. Now, this is the commandment that God gave the people as they made their way into the, into the promised land. And so the people walked away from the mountain where they'd had this conversation with God. And eventually they crossed the river and went into the promised land. And then they started counting. They counted one year. They counted two years, three years, four years, five. The people started counting the years, but at some point, at some point, the people lost track. At some point, the people just stopped counting. And maybe at some point, there was somebody who said, hey, you know, don't you think maybe we ought to to have that year of Jubilee that God commanded us to have? And I imagine that in the moment when somebody brought up this commandment that God had given the people before they went into the promised land, I imagine that all the people around that guy probably said, really? Did you really think that God expected us to do all of that? Forgive debts? set the prisoners free, give back the family farm, release all of the people who have been enslaved? How could we possibly do all of those things? What, what would happen to our society if we did all of those things? Society would collapse. Everything that we've worked so hard to build would, would fall apart. God couldn't possibly have meant us to take that commandment literally. And so 50 years came and went and there was no year of jubilee. And a hundred years came and went, and there was no year of jubilee. Hundreds of years passed, centuries went by, and nobody even attempted to follow this commandment. Nobody even attempted to have a year of jubilee. And then all of a sudden, along comes Jesus. In today's gospel reading, we find Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is just beginning to gain a little bit of a reputation as a a miracle worker, as a wandering preacher. And now in today's reading, as we pick up the story, we find Jesus for the first time since he, he started his ministry back in his hometown, back in the village of Nazareth. And people are excited. They're excited that this local celebrity has come home for a visit. And the leaders of the local synagogue are so excited that they invite Jesus to come and and preach a guest sermon. And Jesus accepts the invitation. And so on the day of worship, Jesus goes to the synagogue and he sees that the sanctuary is packed. All of the people want to hear Jesus preach. All of the people want to see their, their hometown boy made good. And when the time comes in the worship for the sermon, Jesus makes his way up to the front of the sanctuary. He asks for a scroll. He takes the scroll of Scripture and and unrolls it. And then Jesus begins to read. And there in front of all of the people, he reads these words from the Hebrew Bible. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me. And God has sent me to proclaim good news for the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. God has sent me to proclaim sight to the blind and liberation to all who are oppressed. 
God has sent me to declare, God has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus says. Now, the year of the Lord's favor is just another way of saying the year of jubilee. There in front of all of the people in the synagogue, Jesus, for the first time in hundreds of years, has the audacity to stand in the house of God and declare the beginning of a year of jubilee. Blow the trumpets, Jesus says. And then he begins preaching to the people. There in front of all of the people in the synagogue, Jesus begins preaching a, a Dr. Yankin drill style sermon. Jesus starts telling them things they don't want to hear and showing them things they don't want to see. Jesus says, listen, we have not been walking in the ways of God. Jesus says, we have allowed ourselves to become a society of enslavement and incarceration and indebtedness, and that was never God's plan for us, and we cannot keep walking in the way that we have been walking and expect that God will pour out blessings upon us forever. The time has come, Jesus says, for us to hit the reset button. The time has come, Jesus says, for all of us, all of us to find healing and to make a change and to find a new a new way of living. This is the, the sermon that Jesus preaches when he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, how do the people react? How do the people respond when Jesus preaches this sermon? Well, the people there in the synagogue, that they become angry. They become so angry that a mob of people, much like the mob I imagine we saw this week again in Lansing, a mob of angry and violent people sees Jesus and they, they attempt to throw him off a cliff. And it's only by a miracle of God that Jesus is able to escape with his life from these people who don't want to hear that their lives have got to change. And the question that Jesus is asking us today is, Are we willing to hear that message today? What will we do? How will we respond when God looks us in the eye and says, the time has come for all of you to change, to live in a new way? Now, in some ways, this moment that we are living in, this difficult and strange moment that we are living in, is is similar to the jubilee that God commanded the people to observe when they went into the promised land. And we've returned to our families, and the whole world has slowed down. And as the world slows down, we're beginning to see things that we've been hiding from for decades. We're beginning to see the things that we don't want to see. As we all slow down, we see creation healing all around us, and we have to reckon with the ways in which our lifestyle, our way of living has been damaging this creation that God has given us. And in this moment, we find ourselves doing things we couldn't imagine ourselves doing even months ago. We find ourselves releasing prisoners from from jail, and now we have to reckon with the question, is it possible that many of these people never belonged in prison to begin with? In this moment, we're starting to see this this moment of of pause in our society, this moment of, of struggle in our society is revealing to us some of the inequities and injustices that have been allowed to build up in our society. We're beginning to see that coronavirus doesn't affect all parts of our society equally. We're, we're having to ask questions like, why is it that people of color have got so many more underlying conditions that make them so much more vulnerable to this virus, so much more likely to die if if they if they contract this virus and and now we're starting to ask questions like is it possible to forgive people from debt we're starting to see that that there's a deep inequality in our society that for some people this coronavirus simply means a a few months of inconvenience that we can't go to our second homes for the summer 
Well, for others of us, the coronavirus means a, a desperate decision has to be made between losing jobs and starving to death or going back to jobs that put us in harm's way. In this moment, we are, are seeing things that we've hidden from for years, for decades, maybe for hundreds of years. And that's scary and that's overwhelming and it seems like each day there's some new thing, some new jab that brings us pain, some new thing that we need to have a, a spiritual wrestle with. But if we can be courageous, if we can have eyes to see, if we are willing to hear the voice of God, then this moment can also be for us not just a moment of struggle, but a, a moment of grace. This can be a moment in which God shows us that it's possible to live in a different way than we have been living. You know, this could be a moment in which we, we receive once again the dream of a community, a society, a world that is built around, around compassion and human dignity. If we have ears to hear and eyes to see, then maybe, maybe God's grace will be able to get through to us and maybe God's grace will help us to understand that the question we ought to be asking in this moment is not after all of this, how quickly can we go back to normal? But instead, the question that we ought to be asking is, after everything we've experienced, after everything that we've seen, how could we possibly go back to normal? Let's pray. God, we pray that we would experience this difficult moment as a moment of grace. We pray that you would open our eyes to the brokenness that we have hidden from for too long. God, we pray that you would give us courage to dream of a better world. Courage to dream of a world that's not built on imprisonment and enslavement and indebtedness. A world that's built on compassion and human dignity. God, we pray that you would give us the courage and the faith it takes to never go back to normal again. In Jesus we pray. Amen.